it is such a privilege to be able to be here with you. I don't think there's anything more exciting than young adults who love the Lord and are serving God passionately. You know, I've spent years, uh, Bill Crick has sent me lists to all of our prayer partners for years with all your names, <clears throat> those who've been doing it for years, and have just enjoyed so much praying over those names, uh, fasting, praying, and watching what God has done with so many of you, um, with the leaders anyway, and a lot of you are just starting. But God's got great things ahead for you. It's exciting. I just need to pray as I start. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I don't know why I feel so emotional, but there's something about young adults that I know moves the heart of heaven, that causes the angels to sing, that young people would come and they're exhausted, they're tired, they've worked hard all summer, and yet they're here this weekend to, to learn more, to be refreshed in you. Father, don't let anyone go away empty. Even if it's nothing that anybody says, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in each heart, minister to them what each one needs. You know what it is, Lord. Nobody else does. We plead the blood of Jesus over this room, over this whole program this, today, Lord, for you to do a mighty thing. We don't want to just do meetings. We don't want to just have happy, good-feeling seminars. Lord, we want life-changing event today. And only you can do that. So we thank you, Father. Thank you that that's a prayer you always answer. Make our hearts open and willing. And Lord, I pray that you would please give me the right words and that Jesus would be lifted up. I thank you, Father. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know. I've really struggled with what to share. I text Heidi from Houston the other night. I said, Heidi, what am I supposed to be doing? Because so many have heard me, and yet God keeps bringing me back to the, to the same thing. And I'm sorry if you've heard it. You must need it again. It's the only thing I can say. <clears throat> but I, I had, uh, by the way, pray for Jerry. Jerry would love to be here with you. But he doesn't get to see his family very much because we, we are so busy, so traveling all the time. And he really felt the burden to go see them right now. He has so many that really need Jesus. Um, recently, a relative that's on cocaine. And it's, so pray for him. And I thank you. But I had something horrible happen to me 21 years ago. I turned 40. And I know none of you can relate to that. But it was a horrible experience because here in America, they don't do it in other countries, they put up black balloons, black crepe paper. They brought me into this room. I was totally un not suspecting this at all. And they had signs up, Janet Page's youth has died, and a tombstone cake that said Janet's youth has died, and all kinds of gag gifts like laxatives and other things, diapers. And I moved from that, that was in Pennsylvania, I moved to California to get away from them, and actually God called us, but I thought this would never happen to me again. But when I turned 50, it happened all over again, but even worse, and we won't go into that one. But you know, when you're young, 
really young. Oh, you can't wait for your birthday. You can't wait for Christmas. You can't wait for school to be out. And you're just, you're just, Lord, and not Lord, but, but just you're asking your parents, you know, when's it going to happen? It takes so long. And then you can't wait for that day you go to school. And you can't wait for that day that you get to, to marry. And you get to go to college. All these things, it seems like it takes so long. Or to get to drive a car. And then all of a sudden, you get in your 30s and it's go. Whew, where did the time go? It's gone so fast. I'm already in my 30s. <gasps> Pretty soon I'm going to be 40. And then I'm going to be 60 and then 80. And, and you know what happens is you get older. Life just gets busier and busier, busier. You think it's busy now, you just wait. And it isn't bad things, it's good stuff. So many good things that need to be done every day. And I stopped in my 30s and said, Lord, what really matters? What's really important? I can't do all the things that need to be done. And I thought, what's really going to make a difference in my son's lives? What's really going to make a difference in my, in my neighbor's lives? And as I thought about that, the verse, which I know you know well, came to my mind in John 17, 3, which says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, I had learned when I was 17 years old that I needed to spend time with God every day. I learned that from a Bible teacher. And I'll never forget him saying this because back then, you know, when stone wheels on the cars, nobody talked about spending time with God. And nobody talked about that whole thing. It was just what you needed to do to be good. And, and, and so I raised my hand and I said, you know, I go to church and I try to be good. Isn't that enough? And he said, no, no. He said, you need to spend time with God every day. I said, why? And he said, if you don't spend time with God, you won't know him. And if you don't know him, you won't love him. He said, and if you don't love him, you're going to walk away from him. And so I went up after class. I said, well, I, you know, I don't want to do that. I said, so how do I do this? And he said, well, there's no set way. Just take your Bible and, and pray. And I said, well, how long? And he said, well, maybe try 30 minutes. I said, well, okay. And as I'm walking out, he stopped me and he said, Janet, he said, do you have trouble getting up in the morning? I said, yeah, I do. I love to sleep. He said, I have a verse for you. And I know you probably know that verse, Isaiah 50, verse 4. He said, you claim this verse, God will wake you up. And I said, really? Okay. Well, I read the verse. The verse is talking about Jesus. But the Bible teacher said, no, you can claim it too. And, and it was the last part of the verse. It says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So I started putting my finger on that. I learned from Glenn Kuhn when I was in high school. Any of you heard of Glenn Kuhn? ABC's a prayer, a few of you, not many. Well, Glenn Kuhn taught us, put your finger on the promise and claim it. And now I've collected a lot of Ellen White quotes where she says to do that. Put your finger on the promise. And I started seeing so many miracles happen as I did that. And so I would put my finger on that promise for God to wake me up. And he would do it, but it was terribly early. I didn't like it, and I'd argue with him. And I said, I can't get up this early. If I get up this early, I'll have a headache, and I'll be irritable. And I would refuse. Sometimes I'd do it, but most of the times I would refuse. And, but I found, especially since I got married and had kids, uh, that it really makes a difference if I get up when God wants me to, even if it means less sleep. 
I'm way less irritable, way less headaches. And if my family were here, especially Jerry, he'd go, amen. You know, it really makes a difference. And, but so I remember though, when I first tried, I, I, the Bible teacher said 30 minutes. And so I put out that alarm clock. It's, I could look at it to be sure I did exactly 30 minutes. And I prayed, I read my Bible a little bit, and then I prayed and I prayed everything I could think of. Then I looked at the clock to see how much time I had left. Only five minutes had gone by. I thought, how am I going to spend the rest of this time with God? You know, I didn't know what to do. But you know what I love about God? If we will keep pursuing Him, keep trying to spend time with Him, He will show us how to pray. He will show us how to spend that time with Him. He will show us what's on His heart and how He wants us to join Him. And let me tell you what. You start joining God in what He wants you to pray about, you are going to see miracles. So many things happen. It's incredible to me. And yet, you know, I... I I didn't read the, la- the first part of that verse till much later. Do you know what the first part says? It tells why God wants to wake you up. I think there's several reasons, but this one is one that's really important. First part says, the Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know how to speak the word to sustain the weary. God wants to wake us up. He wants to spend time with us so that we can then, from the comfort he gives us, go and comfort others, go and encourage others to Jesus. And it's incredible to me how many times he will speak to me through his word and somewhere during that day on the phone or in person, somehow he'll lead me to somebody who needs those exact same words. Our God isn't just a God of the universe. He's a personal, real, intimate, loving God that cares so much about us. But I got into college, and I got so busy. I was taking nursing and early morning labs, and, and I would forget about spending time with God till exam week. And it was, oh, God, if you'll just get me through exams, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading my Bible and praying. I'm going to spend time with you. Well, God would keep his promise. He'd get me through exams. And I would try to keep my promise and spend that time with him. But then I'd get busy again, and I'd fall out of it. And I would forget about it till the next exam week. And it was, oh God, if you'll just get me through exams. You know, I went all the way through college like this. Up and down, up and down. But I always thought once you're out of college, you're working a full-time job that's only eight, nine hours. You got 24 hours. Plenty of time to know God. I was so busy. Stuff to do all the time. Then I got married. And later we had a a little, we're going to have a little baby. Two weeks before the baby came, I quit my job. I said, this is so good. I'm going to stay home, just take care of a baby. I'm going to have so much time. Finally, I'm going to get to read my Bible and really know God. My mother failed to tell me, listen up, young women. My mother failed to tell me it's a 24-hour day job taking care of a baby. They'll keep you busy all day and all night sometimes. And on top of that, if you're a pastor's wife, everybody's got these volunteer projects for you to do if you're not working full-time. And it was, Lord... I'm sorry, I, I didn't have time for you this morning, but I'm going to help with a vegetarian cooking school. That's doing your work, God. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't have time for you today. I'm helping with a vacation Bible school. Will you bless me, Lord? I'll never forget the day I was driving down the highway and going, God, isn't it great? Michelle wants Bible studies. Will you bless me, Lord? I know I haven't had time for you lately, but, but I'm doing your work, God. I'm doing your work. Please bless me, Lord, with Michelle. And before I know it, I'm in my 30s, just having this up and down, up and down, up and down experience with God. 
So here I'm in my 30s, I go, you know, it's been so fast, I'm gonna pretty soon be 40, I gotta start doing this. I said, okay, Lord, you gotta wake me up and you gotta kick me out of that bed because I can't get up. And I'm telling you, if you sincerely pray that prayer, God will kick you out of that bed. I could keep you here for hours sharing how he's kicked me out and many others who've shared their stories with me. But he will get you up if you want him to. My older son, Tyson, he whispered to his friend one time, he heard me sharing this when he was young, and he said, he wouldn't like me saying that when he was young. He is still young, but anyway. He leaned over to his friend and he said, don't do it, God will really wake you up. And it's early, but it is so true. Anyway, so I started spending that time. And you know, we've all learned about how we should start. It says in Psalms 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I would start with thanksgiving and then into praising my God. And don't shortcut your devotional time by leaving that out. It is such an important part of it. But as I did that, I, I went on. I was kind of praying like through the sanctuary and I went on to confessing my sins. So I confessed everything I thought I needed to confess. But there was this one thought that kept coming to mind. And I think, no, that's not sin. I'm a melancholy. I have an over-guilty conscience. Nah, uh-uh, that's not sin. And I just shove it to the side. At times, I would be sitting in meetings like this, and they'd have a, a prayer time. And in the prayer time, the same thought would come to my mind. And I'd go, nah, 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 uh-uh. But one time in my worship time, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, okay, I know it's sin, but I can't deal with it. I don't think Jesus could if he were here. It's just too difficult. Let's just shove it over here. Let's work on not eating chocolate or something. And, and you know, I don't know how it's been for you. You're young. You haven't had many years. But, but, but it's so easy for me in the past especially to stay focused on these external things. Well, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. Stop doing this. While I'm totally avoiding the real issues in my life that God is wanting to deal with. And so I refused to deal with it. And I didn't connect what happened to me then till many years later. But my unwillingness to deal with a sin in my life caused my whole spiritual experience, what little bit I was having, to dry up. And I tried to read the Bible and it was boring and dull. It was, I just didn't get anything out of it. And when I'd pray, I didn't feel like my prayers were going higher than the ceiling. And I got into this vicious cycle of depression. And I got to the point where I really didn't want to live anymore. And Jerry and I, we started having problems. And, and I just, life was miserable. But as a pastor's wife, you don't tell anybody. You know, you have to keep going through the functions and, and doing what you have to do with the church and with your kids. Keep having family worship with them while inside you're dying. But you know, I started suffering with depression in college. And it wasn't until sometime later I realized why that was happening. And I will explain why it was, because it's something I'm hoping that you will avoid. But so I gave up having my worships again. I didn't tell anybody, whatever, you know, just, I just, I thought there's no hope for me. God can't save me. There's two empty chairs here. Why is there two empty chairs right here in the middle? Jesus, my angel. Okay, the Holy Spirit. Anyway. Sorry, I just I keep looking at those two empty chairs, wondering why they're there. But so I um at the time this was happening in my life, Jerry, and I hadn't told Jerry either, 
But Jerry became the conference president in Pennsylvania. And it, it was right ahead of camp meeting. And at camp meeting, people started coming up saying, congratulations, how does it feel to be the first lady? And I'd say, I wash his clothes the same way I always did. Nothing's changed. You know, just, and I would privately think, leave me alone. You know? But the last weekend of this 10-day camp meeting, people started coming up and saying something totally different. Person after person kept coming up and saying this. And what they said was, we've attended a seminar all week that's on the, that was on the Holy Spirit. And our speaker was teaching us how important it is that we pray every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And also, he got us to commit to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in you and Jerry every day. We're going to pray at 6.15 every morning, plus in our prayer groups. And I'd look at him, I'd smile, I'd go, oh, thank you. Inside, I'm thinking, big deal, they're praying. What good's that going to do? They don't know my life's a mess. They don't know I don't want to live anymore. For the next two years, we'd be in a different church almost every Sabbath because of Jerry's job. Someone somewhere would come up to me in these churches and say, we're praying for you and Jerry. We're praying every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're meeting in our prayer groups and we pray for you and Jerry. And I'd say, oh, thank you. But inside I was dying. But two years later, two years of them praying for me, suddenly the Holy Spirit started moving on me and totally changing my life. God got me to start praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope that is something you do every day, throughout the day, continually pray for the Holy Spirit. And because of how God changed my life, my, uh, when, when they called us to the General Conference, which was about three years ago, uh, when we met at, at GC session with Ted Wilson, and, and Jerry told him every reason in the world why they shouldn't, hire us for this job. And they kept saying, no, we want you, we want you. And Ted said, you know, we, we really want to encourage revival around the world. So we started praying, how do we do that? And Jerry came to me one morning out of, out of his worship and he said, Janet, you know, your life was changed through people praying for you. And, and it changed me, because it affected me also. And he said, that's what we need to do. We need to start up again the 6.15 in the morning of people praying around the world for the Holy Spirit, because that's what was going on then. And so he took it to his one of his boss. You know, Jerry, how many of you know my husband, Jerry? Some of you do? Well, you realize that man's been king for 25 years, I think, uh, conference president in Pennsylvania, conference president in Central Cal, and he moves to the GC. He's no longer king. He now has about four bosses over him. And you know what? I admire that man more than I ever have. I cannot tell you what it's done to me to watch him in such humility handle this new position. It's, it's, he's, it's incredible. It's, it's, in, it's a good place to work. It's good leaders over him. It's just different, different from what you're used to. But with great grace and humility and on his face constantly before the Lord, which, by the way, you know, we were terribly busy in Central California, but we didn't know what busyness was. We are busier than we've ever been now. And, and yet we are determined, because we see so many people so busy and not doing it, we are determined we are not going to lose that time with God every day. Even if I don't eat, even if I don't sleep. Because you know, there's no greater joy. That is what life is about. And I'm so grateful 
that God has put up with me and pursued me for so many years to get me to spend that time with him. Part of what happened to me as the Holy Spirit was moving on me was my dear husband pushed me into doing a women's retreat. I didn't want to do this. And he tells me, you know, pray about it and see if God wants you to. And of course, that talk about put you on a guilt trip, you know, tell you to pray about it. And so I thought about it. And at that time in my life, I wasn't even praying. And, and I told uh, Jerry, well, okay, I'll pray about it. Because I knew I could come back in a few days and say, Jerry, the Lord has said I shouldn't do this. But because I wasn't praying then, Jerry comes home all excited and tells me it's been voted by whoever votes things at a conference office. I don't know yet. Figured it out. But, but I am to do this women's retreat. And I said, Jerry, how can you get that voted? I never told you I'd do this. He said, well, I was sure that when you prayed about it, God would tell you to do it. And so I felt like I had to do it. My name was on the line. You know, some unknown people at that conference office had voted for me to do this women's retreat. So I started trying to plan one. And I knew enough to line up a speaker, but that's the only thing I knew to do. And, and I, it's, it's getting close to the time. Nobody's registering to come. And I'm going, you know, nobody's coming. It's probably because they don't like me. Nobody's going to show up. And I said, Lord, please get them to register. Well, they did. We filled up. And then I thought, oh, we're going to have a full house. And I don't know what I'm going to do with them. It's going to be a big fiasco. And so I started complaining to Jerry one morning. I said, Jerry, I don't know what to do with these women. And, and it's going to be a big disaster. And it's going to make you look bad. Jerry was tying his tie and he just stopped and he said, Janet, just go do it. Just go do it. And you know, I walked out of there and I said, just go do it. You know, it's easy for him. And that was before Nike. And, but you know, as I walked out of there and I'm thinking that, just go do it. The, what came into my mind was pray for God to send another woman, you know, to pray with for, the, for this women's retreat. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, okay, I'll pray for that. So I started praying that God would send another woman. Now, I also started spending time again with God every day because I was desperate. And you know, that is a poor motive for seeking God. I'm desperate for him to bless this women's retreat. But you know, God, God will take you no matter what the reason is you're seeking him. He wants so much to spend time with each one of us. I can't tell you the times I've gotten up off my knees and, and told God, you know, I don't love you, I don't know you, what's the use in doing all this? There's no way you can save me, and I'd quit. But my God loves me. He started showing me, and I started spending time with him. Lord, show me what to do with this women's retreat. God, you got to bless. And while you're at it, God, would you please show me that you love me? Would you help me love you? Would you help me love my husband? Lord, would you, would you make this word come alive in my life? And I would show God the quotes. There's quotes in Ellen White's writings that this is God's voice speaking to us. It's just what we need. And so I'd say, Lord, this is what she says. You need to do this for me, for the women's retreat. Do you know God started doing that? But more than that, he started wrapping me in his love. It took me three weeks. Three weeks I kept pursuing God every day. Lord, what do I read? How do I do this? God, I need you. I need to know you love me. I need you to bless this retreat. Three weeks later, God started pouring out a spirit on me. You know, I also, during that time, had started praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all those years, you know, I'd had experiences with God. I'd had good experiences. I'd seen answers to prayer. But I really did not know how God would speak to me through his word personally. Just what I need. 
and would wrap me in his love. It was incredible to me. And I got so excited about it. And I started sharing it with my neighbors and my, and my kids and my husband and everybody. But that women's retreat, you know, God sent a woman. She called me on the phone. I didn't even know her that well. And she said, you know, this may sound strange, but I feel like God's impressing me to ask you if you wouldn't want to get together once a week to pray for your women's retreat. And I said, I knew right then. I had a peace come over me. I knew now God wanted the retreat. It wasn't just Jerry. God wanted this retreat. But there was one minor detail I forgot about. That was I was scared to death to pray out loud with anybody at that time. Jerry tried to get me to pray with him, and I go, eh, I didn't want to do that. Do you know in church, the pastors will go, now let's divide up in threes and fours and pray together. And I would pinch the baby, get him crying, or, or I had to go to the bathroom or something to get out of the room. Because people will pray these beautiful prayers, and I'd stumble all over my words. Or, you know, they pray these long prayers. And by the time they get to you, you're so distracted, and you, you know you're not spiritual because you can't stay with the prayers. Or, and there's nothing left to pray about. They prayed everything. <laughs> but you know what I've learned about God? It's okay to pray about the same thing because the Holy Spirit will pray it through us. And it's okay if we stumble all over our words because nobody's words are good. We're told that in Romans. The Holy Spirit takes our words and makes them meaningful before God. But do you know what happens when you commit yourself to meet with a group of people to pray once a week? You know what happens. I know you do. You'll get busier than you've ever been. Same way you commit to spend time with God every day. You'll get busier than you've ever been. Because Satan does not want you doing it. He'll do everything he can to stop you. Well, I started getting busier than I'd ever been. And I thought, how am I going to do this? I don't have time to meet with these women. She, she got some other women to join us. But I determined I got to do this because God provided them for me. I got to meet with them. And I started meeting with them no matter what. And we would be praying, and I would start praying, Lord, bring a revival at this women's retreat. These women need to be converted, Lord. We want a revival. And one of the times I'm praying this, suddenly so loud in my mind was, Janet, if you want me to help these women, let's work on your life first. And I'm going, oh, I don't want to do that. That hurts. Let's just work on them. And I was so embarrassed, it was so loud, that I opened my eyes because I was sure these women could hear, but they're all like this. So I knew they didn't hear. And so I'm in my mind going, later, God, later, later. I'll, I'll deal with it. I promise. I'm going to deal with it. But I'm a procrastinator. I did not deal with it. And a while later, we were at a prayer conference. Jerry dragged me there. It was on the other side of the coast, uh, the United States. And we're at this prayer conference, and I loved it. They'd have a group prayer time, and a, sentence, a person pray a sentence here and a sentence there. Somebody would start up a song. Someone would read a scripture, pray a scripture. And I loved it. I was too shy to pray out loud, but I just enjoyed being there. But Jerry wasn't enjoying it. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And he didn't talk about it. But, you know, God had been waking me up early now because I'd been spending that time with him. And he woke me up. It was really early one morning. It's still dark. And so I didn't want to wake Jerry up. He's sleeping. So I went in the bathroom to have this time with God. And as I'm trying to have this time with God, I don't sense him. I don't sense his presence. And, and I said, God, what, what's wrong? And I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm by the toilet here. But <laughs> God doesn't care, I don't think, where we are. And I, so I knew it wasn't that, but I said, Lord, what's wrong? And just faint thought came into my mind. I want you to deal with a sin problem now. 
And this particular sin problem God was after me about was a bitterness, a resentment towards someone, someone who'd hurt me badly many, many times. And I said, now, wait a minute. I said, why don't you get them to come ask my forgiveness, then maybe I could say something. They're the one who's done this and this and this and this and this to me. I haven't done anything to them. I mean, maybe be a little cool, but uh, nothing else. And there was no response from God, no argument. And that experience with God had become so precious of him wrapping me in his love. And I didn't want to lose what was happening, that it gave me the courage to get up and go call this person. I also wanted him to bless the women's retreat, and I was afraid he wouldn't. So I went to the payphone down the hallway because I didn't want to wake Jerry up, and I didn't want him to hear it, you know, embarrassing to apologize to somebody in front of him. So I go down the hall, and I'm going, Lord, I hate this person. They've been so bad to me. I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. The Holy Spirit's got to do it through me. And I called them, and I hoped they wouldn't be home, but I woke them up. And so I just jumped in finally to asking their forgiveness. And I'll never forget what happened as I did that. But as I started asking their forgiveness, knowing full well this person probably would never ask mine, not, not probably, they never did. But as I asked, started asking their forgiveness, one thought after another kept coming into my mind of specific things I needed to ask forgiveness for. And I was totally shocked. I didn't know I'd done that. And as one came, I'd say, Lord, would you forgive me? Not Lord, but this person. I'd say, would you forgive me for this? And then the next thought would come, and I'd say, uh, would you forgive me for this? And I would name it very specifically. And then the next thought came, and pretty soon I was going, Lord, let it stop. <laughs> but you know what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9? In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I did not realize how I was coming across to this person. I didn't realize how wicked I was. I was deceiving myself, I guess. But I'll never forget what happened as I asked their forgiveness. God just came in and washed me clean of the bitterness and the resentment and in his place gave me love and compassion for this person. We still had our differences, but we could be friends. We serve an amazing God that can do that. That happened in the morning. That night, we'd come back to the motel to eat supper, and Jerry, you know, some had been bothering him. He didn't talk about it. And that night, Jerry says, you know, I don't want to go back to the meeting. You can go. I'm just going to stay here. Well, I'm going, oh, and I was thinking, you know, I probably should stay here with Jerry. What should I do, Lord? And I felt like I should stay there with Jerry. So I, when I determined to stay, when I decided to stay with Jerry, I then had this urgency come over him, me, share with Jerry what happened this morning on the phone. Well, so I shared it with Jerry, because Jerry had known the issue, he knew the problem, and Jerry had always been on my side. Well, that morning, I mean that evening, as I shared it with Jerry, I could sense this emotional wall coming down in Jerry. And all of a sudden, Jerry starts saying to me, by the way, I'm not sharing anything that Jerry doesn't usually share with me when we're together. But Jerry said, you know, yesterday, I was pacing back and forth, praying. I said, God, why am I here at this prayer conference? I'm busy conference president, and I'm here, and, and I know how to pray. They're trying to teach me how to pray. We pray in our conference. And Janet, Janet's so spiritual, getting up so early in the morning, spending time with you. How come she has trouble with so-and-so? I had no clue he felt that way. He'd always acted like he was on my side. 
And so as he shared this, I'm going, wow, this really is a God thing. Do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt? You think God's done this, God said this, but you doubt, did he really? And so I'm, I'm doubting, I was doubting, but when Jerry said that, I'm going, you know, God really did push me to do it this morning. As I'm sitting there thinking about that, this was a God thing. I just love it when I know, you know, God's worked in my life. I'm sitting there thinking that all of a sudden I get this urgency. Janet, you need to ask Jerry's forgiveness for a number of things. You know, you know those scriptures, Matthew 23, 12, that says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I didn't ever believe that. And if you have this issue, this problem, it's all through the Bible. You can't get away from it. At least I can't. It's always there everywhere you turn. And, but I always thought, I'm not doing that. I'm not being nobody's doormat. Uh-uh. And God had been after me to ask Jerry's forgiveness for several things. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. Because the next time we have a, an argument or an issue, he's just going to hold it over my head. No, I'm not doing that. That night, though, God's urging me, now you need to talk to Jerry. I now had the courage to talk to Jerry. And as I asked Jerry his forgiveness for several things, do you know what happened? Just what God's word says. I'd spent years trying to exalt myself and had been humbled. But now as I humbled myself and asked forgiveness, I was exalted. It drew Jerry and I close together. We cannot go wrong in obeying God's word. I'm sorry it took me so long to realize that because when it takes you so long, it affects your health. It affects you in so many ways. It messes you up. It messes you up so badly. You want to get over it. That my older son, Tyson, he was a young teenager then. He comes up to me one day and he says, Janet, uh, not Janet, Mom. He says, Mom, Mom, you've changed. He says, Mom, will you teach me to know Jesus the way you know him? I don't think, those are words a mother longs to hear from their child. But Zach, he was just a little bitty guy. He didn't hear his brother say that. He came running up to me another day and he says, Mommy, Mommy, you're so happy now. Mommy, will you teach me how to spend time with Jesus? You see, if you don't get over the bitterness and the resentments, you will start acting out the same behaviors in some way, some form, as they've done to you. And that is what had happened to me. I was acting out towards my family, towards my husband, the bad ways I'd been treated. I didn't want to. You don't want to do that, but it happens. Because if you're bitter and resentful, resentful, that is where your focus is. It is not on Jesus. I can't encourage you enough. If somebody's hurt you in your life and you haven't been able to forgive them, or you're bitter or you're resentful, pray fast. Get your prayer partner to pray for you. Pray for God to get you over it because it will ruin your life. It'll mess you up in all your relationships. But what a difference it made. And that women's retreat, you know, we kept meeting week after week praying. At that women's retreat, we saw so many miracles. A lot of them I didn't even realize till the months later. But we had a woman who was physically healed there. She'd had this physical disease for almost 14 years. And her doctor could not believe she was healed. He kept making her come to see him for the next two years, about once a month, because he just knew she still had this disease. Two years later, he finally said, you were healed at that women's retreat. I don't understand it, but your disease is gone. But that was not the biggest miracle. The biggest miracle to me was the lives that were changed. Women, 
I'd have pastors calling me up saying, what went on at the women's retreat? The women have come home totally changed, and it's changed our whole church. I had husbands writing me letters saying, thank you, thank you for went on at that women's retreat. Our marriage was healed. He wasn't even there. I had husbands calling me up saying, could you come do a mini women's retreat in our church, our area? Because of what it had done. And it wasn't anything special. It wasn't a special speaker. It was all the prayer that went up for it. As I shared these things with Jerry, because, you know, Jerry's the one who wanted it all. He said, Janet, this is what we got to do. It's what we got to do. I said, what do you mean it's what we got to do? He says, we got to start getting together with other families and praying for our neighborhood, our community, our academy. I said, okay, I can work that out. And so I talked to some people that I knew were comfortable praying, and we started meeting together. I got them all to make a commitment that they'd spend at least 30 minutes with God. You know, if it's hard for you to spend time with God, at least try five minutes. Five minutes pray. Five minutes read your Bible. But then don't leave out the third most important thing. Five minutes of reaching out and loving, doing service, witnessing, doing something. You cannot grow in God's Word and in prayer if you're not sharing and loving others. It doesn't work. When I was in high school, God literally dragged me into doing uh, spiritual activities on the campus. And I got involved and did all that. And then as I went to college, you know, I thought, you know, I've worked hard. I'm exhausted. I need a break. And I got into college, well, kids that were already there that knew me from academy said, hey, Jana, come on, help us. you got to get involved. I said, no. No, I've worked hard. I'm going to take a break. And I took a break. I decided I'm going to enjoy nature. I'm going to get out and ride motorcycles with the guys. And just, I'm going to enjoy. You know, I'm busy. I'm doing my schoolwork all day long. I need a break. I've worked hard for God when I'm in academy. And I also did LE work my uh, senior year and, and the following year. And that was in the days you carried big, heavy books door to door. That's why I'm so strong, even though I'm old. But, and I said, I've done enough. I've worked hard for God. I'm going to take a break. That is when the depression hit me. And I never connected the two, never realized it until years later. I just thought I had a depressive problem. But I know now the connection was between my unwillingness to be involved with what God wanted me to do and brought on the depression. I can't, I know you're exhausted. I know you're tired. You've been working hard all summer and you want a break. God wants us to take breaks. We need to take times of rest. But don't totally give it up. As you go back home, as you go back to your schools, through the years I've had so many who've done the LE work in the summer say to me, pray for me, pray for me. I'm going to go back into my life and I'm afraid I'll get sucked up into secular culture. And it's so easy for it to happen. I, I know that. That's why we pray for you. But please, please, don't give up that time with God. If you can't do it early in the morning, don't feel guilty and kick yourself all day you didn't do it. Just find some time during the day to do it. Even if it's only three minutes, five minutes, whatever, just give God some time. And if you keep doing that, I promise you it will grow. And it does grow. It grows. You hunger, you thirst to have more time with God. You can't get enough. You know, I, I try to eat healthfully. And I try to exercise, not so I won't have cancer and won't have heart disease or live to be an old age. I'm already an old age. But because I want to have the energy and strength to get up earlier to spend time with my God. 
and to have a clear mind so I can really hear him communicate with me. It's worth it. My son, Zach, I'll never forget when, when he was uh, converted and he got involved in, in uh, teen Bible, uh, youth evangelism team. And I'll never forget, he was gone a week and he calls me up and he says, Ma, Ma, this is life. And I said, what are you talking about, Zach? What do you mean? He says, Mom, this is life. I said, Zach, what do you mean? He says, Mom, I've tried everything. I, I've been involved in all the extreme sports, trying to find joy to be happy. He says, Mom, I never could find it. But now, Mom, I've got it. I've got that joy. He says, Mom, there's nothing greater than doing ministry and serving others. You know, he continues on in that joy. Uh, the Lord has just in the last two years taken Zach to a deeper conversion experience. He's been a, at the, the seminary and he's, he's determined he would spend even more time in prayer and in Bible study and in spirit of prophecy. And God has converted him so deeply that I only wish to be changed like Zach's been changed. I want to have that experience like him. He's calling his mom and dad to a much higher level. And I can't encourage you enough. You know, I, I, I argued with Mark Finley in taking this job. I said, Mark, I like the young people. I get to do girls' teen retreats. I get to, to coordinate the youth prayer conferences. You know, I get to be with these young people. You're going to stick me in a job where I'm just with pastor's wives. I want to be with young people. And Mark said, well, Janet, God, God will work that out if he wants you to do it. And I said, no, nah, I don't know. But, but I didn't think I was going to take the job. But that night, God worked me over, and I knew I was supposed to take this job. But here's the thing. Do you know what God's been giving me the privilege to do over the last many years? I have just been, in the, in the last several months, at uh, three youth meetings, like GYC, in Australia, then Indonesia, uh, Indonesia twice. Uh, then before that, uh, well, not Indonesia twice. That was actually a church, the second one. But there was youth there, too, speaking to. But before that, in, in Germany, in, in, August, in uh, March, there's 23 countries represented there. Over 1,700 youth. That's unheard of in Germany. That area uh, was, is so secular. But the Lord has been blessing and giving me opportunities to do what's dear in my heart, to minister and pray and be with young people. Whatever God calls you to do, he will not disappoint you. He will give you the desires of your heart. And people say, oh, you've got to be careful with that one. But let me tell you what, you're seeking God, God will change your desires. And he'll give you desires that are incredible. I, I'm going to quit. But I just, I cannot thank God enough for people that were determined, that did not know how bad off I was to pray every day for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because of that, uh, Mark Finley and Jerry, as they met, they came up with 777. And with our revival committee, they voted this uh, to pray at 7 in the morning, 7 in the evening for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we've got people around the world who are doing this. And I hope you will join in doing this if you aren't already. But don't tire of it. We'll go to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we'll get those thoughts. Oh, this isn't doing any good. Oh, this is boring. What good is this? Don't believe those. Those are Satan's lies. 
It is going to make a difference. We're told those prayers are being stored up in heaven and at the right time they're going to be poured out. And we're going to see great things happen. But in Papua New Guinea, they brought everybody in. People watched for days to get to this meeting. And it's in a huge stadium. There's thousands of people there. No, they didn't come to hear me. They came to hear Ted Wilson. But we were there. And, but I got to, we got to ask them, how many of you have heard of 777? Almost every hand went up. I said, are you praying? Yes, we're praying. They love it that they're joining their world church in praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you not think God's not going to answer that prayer? In Sweden, they just had a youth thing in, in December or January. They're going to have another one this December. They had three, 400 youth come out. That doesn't sound like a lot. But in Sweden, it is so God, anti-God, so secular. It's a miracle. It's amazing what's happening around the world. Why is it happening? It's because people are praying. Jesus is coming. It's all, you can almost hear him coming through the thresholds. He's on his way to take us home. And there's so many people to reach as I see him in the airports and I talk to him on the planes. We're in such a secular society. But I would like to ask you this morning, and I know I'm going over time. I know you're tired and exhausted, and I know you, you may be going back to homes that are not that great, back to a school that's not that great. But would you join me this morning in really committing to be totally submitted, surrendered to Jesus? Say, Lord, I may fall, but I know you'll pick me up. Jesus' blood covers us, but just that you will keep at it, keep trying just to know him. If you are willing to do that, would you just come forward and I don't know if there's anybody here who maybe needs to be baptized that hasn't chosen to do that yet, and God might be moving on you. If by chance he's moving on you, would you come up on this platform? Would you be brave enough just to come up here and say, I want to start studying, I want Bible studies, I want to get baptized. Let me tell you, there is no better way to live. There is no, I know you think, well, she's old, she's, you know, there's nothing left for her. No, there's a lot left for me. There's many people my age that are living totally god ungodless lives and they're miserable. But you know what? In Indonesia, I was just there. I have these youth coming up to me saying, why hasn't anybody told us this? Why hasn't anybody told us this? I said, what are you talking about? They said this whole experience we could have with God. We've never heard this. We've never learned this. Their parents don't know it. They need you. They need us to go and tell them around this world. They're sitting in our churches here in the United States. They need you, you youth, to come and tell them you can have a live experience with God. It isn't just about going to church and trying to be good and reading the Sabbath school lesson and telling some of your neighbor what he shouldn't do. No, it's much more. It's a powerful experience with the living God. And I know you're doing that. I know you're spending time with him. But my burden is that you don't quit. You don't quit, you keep at it. And know that you're going to be covered with prayer. And I hope there's somebody, somebody you can call on. Pray that God will give you a prayer partner that you can pray with. You know, God has taken Jerry on such an incredible journey of prayer. It's just amazing to us. But is there anybody here that needs to make that decision for baptism? Would you have the courage to come up here on the platform? I just feel like I need to call that one more time. If there's anybody, just come on up. We're going to pray. Would you just put your hand on the person in front of you? Those that are getting baptized today, come up front. There's several here. 
here that are getting baptized today? Uh, Kyle's saying there's several being baptized today. If you would come up. Praise God. Praise God, what's your name? Julia. Just put your hand on the person next to you. Lord, I am so thankful for this precious young man that's just come up and for the many others that are going to be baptized today. Oh, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to bless them. Oh, Father, take them on a journey with you that's absolutely incredible. We know times will be tough. We know they'll be hard. But with you, Lord, with you, we can do anything. But Father, for everyone in this room right now, I know they're here because they love you. That's what they've been doing all summer is working for you, knocking on doors in the heat and having people reject them. But Lord, I know they're tired. They're exhausted. And a lot of them will go back to secular cultures. Father, they need you. Keep them surrounded with holy angels. Keep them filled with your Holy Spirit. Keep them focused on Jesus. Keep them praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit every day in their lives. And keep us faithful to pray for them. Lord, we thank you. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you've put up with me for so many years. Thank you. You don't ever give up on us. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.